Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are coming out of the gate strong. We're banging in the goals for fun, like we never went away. Well, you know, at least some of us are. Yeah, I know. The opening weekend in the Bundesliga was full of action. It was four goals per game on average. Pretty pretty sweet there. Uh, but somebody had to be on the wrong end of a few of those storylines. <laughs> as, as my guest this week, Nick Vildhagen, knows only too well. Have you recovered from Saturday, Nick? <laughs> um, well, it was sort of like a bit of a deja vu experience for us, uh, the fans. But uh, yeah, I'm... Uh... You know, Schalke is coming up next weekend. I was about to say, (laughs) there is a silver lining. That's like the the only glimmer of hope I have at the moment. And I'm, uh, you know, there was a guy on Twitter who offered, um, said that if Werder played so well and defeated Schalke that David Wagner would get the sack, he would donate 1,000 euros to uh, charitable work in Bremen and 500 euros extra for every Davy Selke goal. So, you go, Davy. All right. Hat trick hero Davy Zelka. Here we come. No way that that's never going to happen. Okay. Uh, this week we are going to be looking at uh, the big teams getting big results. Uh, we're going to diagnose the sick men of the Bundesliga. We'll weigh up uh, a few teams' prospects of maybe, possibly, perhaps becoming this season's surprise package and much, much more. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball. This is, uh, you know, for you new folks, this is uh, the part where we each week begin with the best of the match day that has just gone. It's very simple, straightforward this week. It's match day one, uh, the first number in in the sequence of 34, which we'll be going through this season. There was a lot of good to go around, to be honest. We had a celebration of youth uh, in Dortmund. We had a dream debut uh, in, in Bremen, a hat trick hero in Cologne. Uh, but I think we, we probably ought to start with <laughs> what is undoubtedly the best performance of them all, albeit against a pretty bad opponent, that of FC Bayern München. Uh, you know, they're European champions for a reason. FC Schalke 04 are not. Uh, <laughs> about as comprehensive a win as you're going to see in this league. The Bavarians, of course, got an 8-0 win on opening night on Friday. That was the biggest such win in an opening game in Bundesliga history. Nick Abel and I expressed some misgivings last week that this particular fixture might not have been the most evenly matched game uh, to start with. Do you enjoy this 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 kind of an icebreaker? No. In a sense, I don't, because uh, what I want to see in an opening match is uh, for the league to display its best side. And, um, you know, a team that rolls over after four minutes and then just goes on to concede goal after goal after goal. And, you know, Schalke can thank their lucky stars that it only were eight goals. That is not the best the Bundesliga has on offer. But, you know, I mean, the... the reason why we're highly critical of this is, is the fact that Schalke went 60 matches without a win on the trot in the Rückrunde. Um, they were without a win from match day 19 to 34. So they, they have been in, in this long crisis and they have seemingly not managed to get out of it over the course of the, of, of the last season. And uh, given that, we are more critical of this sort of pick by the DFL and given that, we probably read a little bit more into the result than we would have done with, I don't know, if Mines would have rolled over 8-0 against Schalke. 
because then we would have said, oh, well, you know, it's opening day. It, it, it can happen to the best of them. It's, it's buying against Mines, and Mines will have so much more fun to come in the next 33 match days. And then we might have rolled out the old, old Sebastian Pirtle quote, uh, who actually won quote of the year. Uh, in Germany by saying, um, quote, going to Munich is a bit, a little bit like going to the dentist. You have to do it once a year and it's painful and you're happy when it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I think looking at this game, you know, it, within the context that it occurred, which is to say the opening game of the year, which is to say, uh, you know, clearly the best team in the division, probably in the best form in, in considering they're in form more than anyone else. They, they played uh, meaningful matches most recently and they won those matches uh, against what was the worst form team in the division uh, going into the, the the break who look to have basically uh, continued down the same road. There's a lot going against this game. But however, if you like goals and if you like silky football, you got a lot of that. I mean, Bayern scored eight goals. Uh, some of them were truly spectacular. I mean, even even one of the assists, uh, I think the, the, the assist for the 6-0, uh, which came from Robert Lewandowski, uh, Rabona, cut back. You know, it was just really, really sumptuous stuff. And even if you can be one of the fans who's sort of writing Schalke off as, as a sort of disappointing relegation scrapper for the season to come, which is probably not a terrible uh, assumption to make. It was really nice to see Bayern strut their stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you are a fan of free, you know, free-flowing attacking football, yes, certainly. But, I mean, it, uh, I mean, my point was that it's probably not for the best of the league to, uh, you know, uh, I mean, this we would have expected from the sort of thing you see in the first round of the DFB Pokal, uh, Bundesliga side going to some third or fourth tier regional league aside and you know i mean okay it's it's hurt against babelsberg and uh babelsberg are just rolling over because was this was this spielvereinigung wacker schalke yeah. no fear <laughs> i mean is this is this a rig uh, a, a dritte bundesliga side in disguise it was eintracht gelsenkirchen the second <laughs> biggest team in gelsenkirchen currently playing in the fifth division now nah, but, but i mean what must have been disappointed for schalke's fans and for for David Wagner in particular was the fact that Schalke just rolled over so easily. I mean, granted, you can concede that goal in the fourth minute, but it, it doesn't doesn't mean that you have to cease defending. It doesn't mean that you have to cease playing football. It doesn't mean that you have to cease believing that you actually can score a goal. But his team just did all that. Um, you know, I mean, yes, they they had they actually had a they had actually the first chance of the match through the new, new signing Pacienza uh, in the first minute, but after that they didn't produce anything of note for the next 89 minutes, and um, even Leroy Zane got a goal Hama, uh, Yamal Musiala became the youngest ever goalscorer in Bayern's Bundesliga history, he's now the fifth youngest goalscorer in the Bundesliga's history and you know, when, when Bayern brings out uh, the, the sort of 17 year olds and, and they start scoring for them uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not a match that uh, <laughs> has gone particular well for a side like Schalke. Yeah, yeah. That uh, there was a triple switch, I think, with about fifteen minutes to go, where Muziala, uh, Chris Richards, and uh, I think um, was it Cuisance all came on together. Yeah, and it was basically an acknowledgement that um, you know they were pretty much good to go up 7-0. I mean, as it turned out, uh, Musiala, as you said, he, he sort of was able to put his stamp on the game and uh, get a goal uh, nine minutes from time. But um, 
it was pretty clear that Bayern were treating this game as something like a formality by pretty much the entire second half. What did you make, since since we did have some new pieces uh, in play, I mean, especially, as you mentioned, Leroy Sané, who got that seventh goal, but um, he, he did start and he was you know quite active in this side. I am pretty excited, considering, <laughs> considering we saw uh, Robert Lewandowski as... Um, a pretty integral part of, of a lot of these a lot of these attacking moves. He only scored that penalty. Uh, didn't didn't get a goal from open play. Gnabry got three goals from open play. Uh, Sane won. I mean this this front line is threatening <laughs> to be something, you know, perhaps even greater than than what Bayern had when they had uh, robbery plus Lewandowski. I, I feel like um, maybe they're just catching these these two new younger guys at a, at a you know more sort of propitious point in their career but I, I really feel like this could be a serious threat for you know 15 20 goals apiece in this in this side. Yeah, and you know, potentially they can. Those two guys are really young, so they could potentially stay for years and years and years to come. And yeah, I, I think both of them have the potential to do that. And um, Bayern thank their lucky stars that uh, Pep Guardiola actually has left out Leroy Zane out of so many important ties. And I think that's his main reason for moving, because he wants to play in those you know Champions League semi-finals and. and games like that and he will have the chance to do that at Bayern he thinks and uh, you know hence the move but you know what, what's really scary what was really scaring me even more is the fact that you have like these young 17 year old guys coming on for Bayern and uh, scoring immediately and then you have a guy like uh, Joshua Zirkze who looks like a very promising striker who already has a couple of goals to his name in the Bundesliga and you think, oh, hang on, when if Bayern now starts developing talent on their own and this talent turns out to, you know, get in there and maybe compete for starting places in the starting lineup, you know, against these big guns in two or three years from now, how much better are Bayern going to be at that point? It's a scary thought because, you know, we already... It's already been said time and time again that this looks like a shoe in the, that ninth championship on the trot. And in terms of the uh, entertainment at the top of the table, that might not be the best thing for the Bundesliga, mildly put. For sure, for sure. I mean, seeing Bayern finally maybe put things together at the youth level. I mean, you know, some of these guys who they got, young players who they integrated into their team, obviously the likes of, you know, Joshua Kimmich a few years ago, or um, Alfonso Davies uh, last season. I mean, these guys came more or less not not as finished players, but players who who didn't join Bayern until they were well into their late teens. And some of these guys who they're now sort of bringing into the into the group, you know, <laughs> it was a really long while. I would say Bayern had that great crop of kids in the mid to late aughts, and then maybe another uh, player or two in, in, in with the likes of David Alaba, but went about ten years without having many, um, you know, integral players come out of their, you know, Eigene Jugend. And uh, as you say, it almost feels unfair if they suddenly are now going to have a new group of, of actual impact players coming. I quickly wanted to ask a, a listener question that, that comes from, from Awesome Bill on Twitter, who is basically maybe speaking in some speculative or, or hope, wishful thinking uh, terms. 
you know, obviously Bayern are still in form, he says, but how long can that last once the matches start coming thick and fast? They haven't had a lot of downtime, physical or mental. Is that really the Bundesliga's only hope at this point? I mean, Diet Mohammed said at the start of the season. Uh, well, if he said it, you know it's wrong. Yes, um, at, at the start of the season that uh, he told Kicker that, well, you know, Bayern are going to uh, fall into a hole at some point this season, given that, you know, matches are coming thick and fast, as, as awesome Bill points out. But, I mean, I, I highlighted those young guys for a reason, because... These 17, 18-year-old guys, they seem like they're ready to take that next step. They seem to be like, you know, when the time comes and some of those players need a rest against the likes of, I don't know, Mainz, Augsburg or whatever, they're keen to shine. They, they want to get in there and they want to show that they can contribute to the side. And um, uh, I mean, Michael Richards, uh, Richards, I actually saw him play for, for Bayern's youth setup against uh, Nuremberg's youth uh, setup, the under-19s. Um, yeah, Chris, Chris, Chris Richards. Richards. Yes, not Michael Richards. That used to be a Manchester City player. Um, yeah, Chris Richards. I, I saw him play for, for their youth setup. And um, you know, already then I could spot that he actually, he had such good spatial awareness and he had... Uh, great passing foot and he he seemed to be going places in um uh despite this being a rather dull affair most of the time that that under 19 Bundesliga match but the fact that they now have that this investment they've placed in their youth setup which they talked about eight or nine years ago is now you know yielding rewards and is now bringing out players you know it seems like two or three players each season and if you see the fact that Bayern Zwei, the under-23 side, actually became champions of the third tier with, you know, a crop of players that has, you know, had a lot of clubs both uh, within Germany and abroad pay interest, you know, clubs from second and first tier. You know that they that the sort of depth they have, it, it seems to be a lot deeper than it was four or five years ago. Um, and with that in mind, I, I don't think they're going to be two-faced. Yep, yep. I think uh, between the, uh, you know, sort of youth movement that seems to be going on there and some of the moves that they um, may or may not be making, I mean, we're getting some news uh, today, which is to say Monday, that uh, their move for right back from Ajax, which is to say Serginio Dest, which I think a lot of American listeners will already be f familiar with him, uh, is probably pretty close uh, to happening, which to me sounds like a great move, not only in that I, I've seen lots of clips of Dest and think he's good, but also in that that's an area where they could use another um, another layer of, of depth. I mean, in the Champions League, as we saw, they had to move um, Joshua Kimmich out of central midfield and put him back in his old spot of right back when when ben Benjamin Pavar was was not fit. You know, having having a, a true backup right back uh, who could also maybe contribute um, at, at right wing uh, at, in bit roles. You know, games against Mainz and Augsburg and etc. That's just another way in which. Uh, Depth is getting better and better for Bayern's side. It, it, says, it says an awful lot that they actually lost Thiago this week. Mm -hmm. He moved to Liverpool and, you know, they're not even looking to sign direct replacement because, you know, with uh, Kimmich, Tuliso, um, Goretzka, all those guys they have in midfield, they actually think that they can compensate for, for that loss from within. They could even potentially uh, move up David Alaba into midfield because he is already playing in sort of a advanced midfield role for the Austrian national team. 
I think he wouldn't mind playing the same part in at Bayern if he stayed. Hey, give Chris Richards six months. They won't need Alaba at centre back anymore. Yeah, well, I was going to say they still have you know they still have Hernandez, the eighty million euro signing who hasn't gotten an awful lot of playing time. I mean that would be a way of fitting him into the starting lineup, moving Alaba further up the pitch. And you know David Alaba, what what an amazing player. I mean he was one of the best, not if not the best left back of his generation. And uh, now he just had taken to that central defender role uh, without, you know, what, what can you say? He's turned out to be one of the best central defenders in all of Europe. Moving up into midfield in a central position, I'm sure he would excel at that as well and become, again, one of the best players in the world in that position. And, uh, you know, if, if you have such players on hand, um, who needs a direct replacement for Thiago, who is... Uh, one of the finest midfielders I've ever seen play. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I totally hear you when you're singing the praises of David Alaba because I'm a huge fan as well. And it, it puts further into perspective, I, you know, I think we might have uh, mentioned it last week, maybe maybe not, <laughs> the foolishness of uh, someone like Uli Hoeneß trying to convince outside parties that a good and aggressive agent is nothing but uh, a, a greedy piranha for asking for more money because, you know, David Alba is a spectacular player who is critical to the success of the side. They should, they should show him the money. I mean, when it, come, when it comes to people being greedy, uh, it's just not really, uh, yes, it might be true. But I mean, if, you're, if, if you've been to prison for tax fraud, um, you might not be the one to, you might hold back on being the one pointing that, that one out. <laughs> <laughs> would just be my yeah. Would just would just be my little side note to Uli Hoeneß there. But be that as that may, let's move on. Yes, let's do that. We had you know speaking of Uli, Uli Hoeneß, um and and the likes of Uli Hoeneß, we had uh, some some perhaps bad I don't know maybe bad role modeling going on uh, at the uh, Auftakt Spiel uh, from the Bayern bosses and I guess from the the Schalke bosses as well. They didn't were not socially distancing very well, not wearing masks. Uh, Schalke invited. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, Clemens Tönnies, uh to sit uh, with the you know the grandees of the club uh, after many many fans hoped that he would just you know hide under a rock for a while. Talking about Schalke, even aside from the uh, you know upset that that Clemens Tönnies, uh presence caused, losing eight nil to Bayern is a thing that happens at times, but it doesn't happen to a big club like Schalke without repercussions. Um, there's already, you know, ructions of maybe they're considering moving on from, from David Wagner after one game. Uh, and I, I certainly think if they lose again uh, to, to Werder Bremen, the voices will get louder. I mean, it's not clear if they have any kind of plan as to what to do next. I mean, the only name that I've heard, you know, sort of batted around um, – Today has been Zandro Schwarz, the former uh, Mainz coach who, you know, did a good but not great job in Mainz. It's it's hard to do um, a lot of comparing what a, a manager does at a club like Mainz versus what they could do at a club like Schalke. I mean, Schalke is not what it once was, but it's a different deal uh, to be under the microscope in Gelsenkirchen and with that sort of nationwide fan base uh, than, than, than working in relative quiet in Mainz where, where his results were, as I said, good, but not great. Azam Alif in, uh, in, in Kuala Lumpur uh, asks a listener question is, is Schwarz the solution that Schalke need? Uh, 
maybe. I mean, as you said, his results were good, but they weren't great. It's not necessarily... Um, you don't necessarily think that you have the sort of coach of a Thomas Tuchel caliber on your hand here. I mean, it's not the sort of... Uh, I mean, Mainz has produced a number of great coaches over the years, uh, most notably Tuchel and Klopp. But, you know, when they left their clubs, it was more or less apparent that they were going towards bigger and greater things. And the same thing is maybe not apparent with Zandra, Vag- uh, with Zandra Schwarz. It's true. When you put David Wagner and Zandra Schwarz together, you get Bundesliga legend Zandra Wagner. Uh, you do. Is, you know, it's always great to think about him. Maybe they should hire him instead. I mean, he's <laughs> looking for employment. He just finished his playing career. Um, no, but joking aside, I you know I I think that um, his teams are usually defensively pretty pretty decently structured, and um, you know they they have sort of um, not the most aggressive sort of pressing, but um, they they are organized rather well. So um, I mean, a bit of organization would do that side a world of good, you would imagine, as um, you know. I mean, what we saw at Bayern the other night, um, I don't know. Um, they're sort of, uh, I mean. There was no cohesive plan either in midfield or in defense or in attack or, you know, the all the different parts of the team seemed foreign to one another and um, bringing in a new pair of eyes wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing, probably. And, you know, the, the, the match against Bremen is going to be a test. Are the Schalke players still behind David Wagner or... Are they not? Because Bremen, as we are going to discuss in in a few moments, is is also a side in a bit of a crisis at the moment. Very nice segue. Let's actually just make it a very, very short moment. Let's end that moment right now and break on into, you know, what I think was really the big one for, for you know, talking foosball HQ this, <laughs> this weekend, uh, which is to say me and, and, and you uh, are, are quite invested in this game. We can't really bury the lead. It was... Hertha BSA, my Hertha BSA, went to Bremen to take on your uh, Werder uh, for a game that I think both of these teams really hope might be a a means of setting a a new tone, a new agenda for a new season after, you know, Hertha had a pretty up and down iffy season, ended up okay, but, you know, Werder had an absolute nightmare season last year. And for that reason, getting off to a good start was pretty important to both of these sides. I was not 100% confident going into this game. Hertha obviously had lost in the cup in pretty stupid fashion, 5-4 uh, away to Braunschweig. And also, you know, Hertha hadn't beaten Werder um, <laughs> at all in the last 13 <laughs> times they had played them and hadn't won at the Weserstadion since 2006. I mean, essentially, you know, 2006 was around the time when I really started uh, supporting and following Hertha um, closely, but living in Germany. And I, I had never seen Hertha win at the Weserstadion, <laughs> and I've seen them play at the Weserstadion. You know, how, how, how all that changed on Saturday afternoon, huh, Nick? I mean, what, what exactly went wrong for Verda? Because through most of that first half, I didn't think that they were, you know, looking like a side who, who were going to be prone to a complete crack-up. Yeah, but I mean, Werder had many of these matches last season where, you know, they defended well for 30, 35, 40 minutes, and then there's just a terrible, silly slip-up in defense, and uh, then the entire team sort of collapses. Um, I mean, last season there was this crazy start. I think Werder lost about, I think it was 21 or 23 points after taking the lead, which um, in itself, uh, 
you know, I mean, granted, you do sometimes lose matches after you've taken the lead, but um, losing that many points after taking the lead is uh, pretty much uh, as bad as it gets. And, uh, you know, this time around, Verda really focused on defense. They had a bit of a weird lineup. Um, you would have probably expected uh, Johannes Eggestein to feature, as he's had uh, has been very good for, for this Verda side uh, during the... Uh, uh, you know, the test phase ahead of the season. Um, you would have maybe expected Romano Schmid to at least be on the bench, but which he wasn't. But in the end, Kofeld decided against both of these players and he went with uh, Davy Selke up top. Um, Joss Sargent uh, on the left wing. I mean, uh, the producer of the match actually thought that they were going to play in a 4-4-2 formation, but they went with a 4-5-1 formation with... Uh, uh, you know, Sergeant being on the left wing, which is not really his natural position. And then again, you also had Yuya Ozako um, in the hole behind the striker, filling that sort of cruiser role. And, you know, all we talked about last season was that he couldn't really fill those shoes and he he seemed so out of place in that position. But Kofeld somehow insists on playing him there. I mean, he... You know, he has been labeled as his favorite pupil by Visa Career, the local Bremen paper. And uh, for the life of me, uh, I cannot see why. Um, because granted, he had a couple of good performances towards the finish of, of last season. But, you know, most of the time he really seemed so out of place. And, you know, the, what happened here was basically that uh, Werder had a defensive slip up uh, in, the, in the 40th minute when uh, Martin uh, Marvin Plattenhardt crossed in the ball from from his left-hand flank. Uh, you know, a low cross uh, into uh, into the penalty area and uh, went past everyone. And Josh Sargent hadn't tracked back uh, early enough. And uh, Peter Pekarik had gotten away and slotted home a pretty easy finish. And... Uh, uh, I mean, granted, those slip-ups can happen, but, you know, the, the next five minutes re were really telling because at first, Marco Friedel almost caused a penalty with an absolutely rash and needless challenge just on the edge of the area, and uh, that decision had actually been reversed by uh, VAR because the referee actually gave a penalty. It was was really close call. And then, just moments later, uh, Maxi Eggestein gave away, you know, in build-up play, uh, misplaced a pass entirely, and... Uh, from there on out, uh, Herter were quick to counter. Ball got to Lukabiako, uh, uh, and uh, you know he just struck that ever so sweetly and got them in a two-goal lead uh, before before halftime. And at, at that point, you pretty much felt like you know, the game was done and dusted because, as you said, Verda didn't really allow an awful lot of chances in the first forty minutes. But um, on the other hand side, they didn't produce an awful lot either. Um, uh, in the second half, they went more and more on attack. Um, Ozako got taken off the pitch, uh, which got a huge roar of a, and a huge round of applause at the Visa Stadium, which, which never is a good sign. Uh, he was replaced by Leonardo Bittencourt, who was a bit more adventurous. Uh, he did the usual Leonardo Bittencourt thing of, of shooting from like 25 yards out on, I don't know, three or four occasions. <laughs> He's... He's not a he's not a choosy guy when it comes to you know chances at goal. No, no. I mean, I mean, he's not as bad as, as that uh, Bulgarian defender who played in Sevilla in the nineties, Ivanov, who just uh, had the habit of just getting slightly over the halfway line and then going for broke whenever whenever he had not a man 
two or three yards in front of him. Um, but yeah, he is he's the sort of guy who um, more often should look for a pass rather than the shot. But, you know, be that other may, he um, at least got a bit more denunciative. He brought a little, more, a little bit more dynamic uh, play to to that Verde front line. Uh, that was to little avail as, as Verde still struggled to create anything but shots from distance. Then, you know, uh, another defensive slip-up, which was then topped off by, by the fact that Jerry Pavlenka uh, didn't, you know, should have kept hold of that shot by Cunha, but didn't. So 3-0, Verde got one back through Davy Salke after a Ludwig Augustinsson cross, uh, the first cross by Augustinsson that has actually found found a man in the box. I think he had quite many crosses throughout the match, uh, all of them misplaced. Uh, and, you know, after that, Verde really threw everybody forward and uh, brought in Nicholas Fulkrug and all that, and Nicholas Fulkrug actually had a decent chance in the 87th minute, but other than that, they didn't produce anything of note accept that chance after the Selke goal and uh, in the end uh, John Cordoba even even got a goal for, for Hertha to really um, put the sherry on top for Hertha and uh, yeah it um, it was really reminiscent of last season for, for Werder Bremen and, and given the fact that the club has said that you know we've learned from last season we want to do things better we want to show our true face we want to show the sort of football we're capable of. This was not the the most promising of starts, I have to say. Yeah, I would reckon you're right. On the other hand, I was really impressed with, with Hertha's start. I feel like starting your season off against um, Bremen, even if it's sort of your bogey side, and especially away to, to that team has been a, a team you basically have no luck against. Catching a team like that at a moment like they're having uh, was a great way to start considering how much um, uncertainty had surrounded Hertha, both losing in the first round of the cup, but also they had had a, a series of, of friendly matches, preseason friendlies against, you know, Ajax, PSV and HSV, all of which they lost, none of which they scored in. Everything was pointing towards a really cagey start to the season. And to get a win like this, basically not allowing a lot of good chances, only giving up one uh, goal and just scoring and scoring and scoring up front and getting both a goal and assist from your new guy in John Cordoba is I can't ask for anything more truthfully I mean I, I yeah should, should we do a little bit of um, you know Sprechen Sie Fußball which we we did a few years ago yeah uh, I it. think Werder was really the perfect Aufbaugegner yeah yeah for for Hertha because Werder is uh, you know they they are still ailing from the sort of same sort of Malays they are they had last season so um they they were really the sort of opponent that could build up your confidence and you know, that could change your the narrative after a dreadful loss against Braunschweig in the first round of the cup and you know and the sort of run up to the season with uh, those test matches that didn't necessarily didn't pan out the the way Hertha would have hope they would um it really changes the narrative and it really brings back a lot of confidence to that side and um given whom they're signed and given who they have in their squads uh, in their squad now um you know they, they want to be a big city club and they there has been a lot of ridicule going around over you know the whole Klinsman thing and all that but um when you put the squad uh, and the fact that you have a sort of decent coach at the helm right now 
together and you think, well, they, they might actually be going places at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like after a lot of sort of searching high and low for uh, the right combination of players, both at the back and in, in midfield, I think Bruno might actually be onto something. I mean, his, his you know, central defense uh, pairing of, of Boyata and, and Taruna Riga, who were not available for, you know, reasons of either fitness or suspension in the in the cup game were there they they basically didn't skip a beat from where they finished last season i was really impressed with how the sort of defensively solid midfield that he put together basically had three guys who are not exactly attack minded players uh, in nicholas stock the converted uh, center back um luca tussar and and vladimir derrida the endless runner and Basically having a good backline and a really, really solid sort of defensive slash two-way midfield allowed the likes of, of Piontek, um, Luca Bacchio, and Cunha a ton of freedom, both to you know really concentrate on, on getting forward and also switch up roles. I mean, these, these are players who, you know, sometimes were coming through the middle, sometimes from the left or the right. I, I feel good. Uh, after a week uh, of a good result <laughs> against a bad team, uh, just just wait, <laughs> just wait until next week when we have to play Eintracht uh, on Friday, which is I think going to be a much different uh, proposition. Quickly, uh, we we mentioned uh, David Wagner and his difficulties and sort of the uncertainties surrounding his job, especially uh, if he can't get a result against Werder. Let's go for the nightmare scenario of uh, Werder losing, you know. A big game, basically losing big in Gelsenkirchen. Uh, let's see, they they lose by three or four goals. Is there any chance that um, the sort of the, the great faith that has been placed in Florian Kofeld is going to start to deteriorate? It would basically be a massive slap in the face if, if Werder were to lose this one, especially given the sort of form that Schalke have been in over the over the last you know seventeen eighteen matches. Um, having said that, I, I don't think that the bosses in Bremen are willing to give up on Florian Kofeld just yet because what they basically think that is that they have one of the biggest coaching talents that Germany has produced over the last few years on their hands and um, that is basically uh, based on the fact that he saved them from relegation in one season and then he went on to uh, almost get them to the Europa League the following season missing out by a single point and you know you they, they might be right but Fatigue sets sometimes in. Um, sometimes the coach doesn't necessarily reach the players as well after a while. Um, so those things have to be considered at some point, but I don't think that Werder is quite willing to consider them just yet. I mean, what Werder does best, well, when Werder does best, is usually when they have a coach and they have him for a really long time. I mean, that's what happened under Reagel. That's what happened under Thomas Schaaf. And, um, you know, they're, they're itching to get back that sort of setup and um, they think they have it in Frank Baumann and in uh, Florian Kofeld. Now if you would ask the Werder fans about them um, you know there are doubts about Ozako being given such a central role all the time and there are doubts about the signings that Frank Baumann has made over the summer and over last summer but uh, as things stand I don't think that Werder are willing to um, consider those positions quite yet. 
Huh. So, yeah, I, as I mentioned, this is the first win for Hertha in Bremen in 14 years. So that's, that's, that's a little bit for the history books. Nick, you are, of course, our man for the history books. You shared a bit of history with uh, our old pal Terry DeFellin last week as, as part of the new Historic Match Day Moments series you've been curating over on Patreon. Uh, this, I think this is a super exciting development. Do you want to let uh, listeners know what they can expect uh, all season long over there? Yeah, sure. Well, what we basically have done is we have recorded, um, or we are almost on recording, 34 podcasts about historic events or historic episodes or historic stats from different match days. So we start with something that happened on match day one, and then we continue with something that happened on match day two, and we do that all the way until match day 34. So we'll give you a little bit about Bundesliga history before the start of each match day. And you'll um, hear pretty much everything about Tasmania, Berlin, uh, if you remember who they were. Or we even have an episode about Schalke's biggest away win against Bayern München. If you're a Schalke fan and want to feel good, you should definitely listen to, to that one. So, I mean, there, there's a bit of history coming out at the start of each match day. And uh, hopefully... It's worth your while because uh, we had quite a lot of fun recording all those episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've been listening to our show for the last few years, we know that we do uh, our match day wraps. You know that we do our, our fantasy previews. And this is essentially going to be a third weekly episode, which is all about uh, historical episodes in, in the Bundesliga. It is a premium product. It does cost you money. It is, you know, you have to join uh, our, our, our patron community over on Patreon. But, you know. It ain't expensive. I mean, three bucks a month will get you in. Uh, if you want to give us five or ten bucks a month, we will love you even more. But um, I really hope we get some folks to to, to head over and, and consider this because I think this is going to be an amazing series. I yeah, I can I can promise you that you will learn an awful lot about uh, what's been going on in the Bundesliga over the last almost six decades. And additionally, uh, what I can tell you is that uh, Talking Foosball Extra is going to be back, not on a regular basis, but you know we'll we'll try to shoot for at least one episode per month. And as things stand, I'm I'm set to record the the first episode of Talking Foosball Extra um, one and a half weeks from now. So. Um, that is also going to appear on Patreon, and uh, additionally, uh, I'll I'll try to you know connect with a few journalists from all around Germany to talk about the teams they're covering. Um, so hopefully, I'll I'll get around to all eighteen teams throughout the entire course of the season, which um, you know is also going to be on Patreon. So um, three dollars is not an awful lot of money, but uh, you'll you'll get your money's worth this season. I'll promise you that. Spectacular. All right. Well, lots to talk about elsewhere in the league. Um, among the big four favorites for Europe, who we talked about last week, you know, Bayern, Dortmund, Gladbach, Leipzig, two out of the remaining three that we haven't talked about uh, did open with wins. And that's, you know, really largely because two of them were facing off against each other. <laughs> uh, we had a good old fashioned Borussen duel uh, to kick things off. Uh, that means, you know, Borussia Dortmund versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, there was quite a definitive winner, uh, the younger Borussia <laughs> took down its its nine year older rival. Basically, the the, the Schwarzgelben their 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 attack their seventeen year olds their twenty year olds were just just a little too spry for <laughs> for uh, the, the foals. Uh, what, what did you make of the you know the the you know Bundesliga kids club in in the top spiel? 
Yeah, this was truly a, a match that deserved the label Top Spiel uh, for once. Um, I mean, next week the Top Spiel is going to be um, Schalke against Bremen. Uh, finish your drink before you spit it out, laughing. And yeah, uh, it, it was sort of, uh, it was a very high-paced affair. And, uh, you know, both sides looked stable in defense. Uh, Dortmund maybe a little bit shaky here and there, but um, it, it, it really just... Uh, took a bit uh you know it really just took a bit of magic by Gio Reyna uh to get the scoring going and uh, after that uh Borussia Dortmund um were the more clever side in the in the second half um the there was a VAR penalty um oh man Ben Sabini uh, had, had gotten a slight touch on on Gio Reyna and uh the VAR picked that up and gave that penalty um rightly so if you ask me uh which then Erling Haaland, uh, Erling Brot uh, Haaland converted. Um, oh man, folks, listen closely to this authentic Norwegian pronunciation. <laughs> if you want to impress your friends, your your associates with, you know, just the roundest Haaland, just serve it up for us one more time, Nick. Erling Brot Haaland. Yeah, he he slotted that one home, and uh, which meant that he actually. Uh, got on equal footing with uh, another Norwegian legend, uh, Jan Orge Fjortoft, in the all-time Bundesliga scoring table, which um, doesn't say an awful lot because uh, Jan Orge Fjortoft only had 14 goals during the time he spent at Eintracht Frankfurt, but uh, he got past, past him. Oh, one of the speediest counter-attacks I've ever seen in Bundesliga history. I mean, Sancho just picks that ball up was it 20, 20, 25 yards in front of goal? Mm-hmm. And he just runs the entire length of the pitch and he just runs and runs and runs. And then he has, uh, you know, the presence of mind to um, just slip the most delicate of passes to Holland, who just, yeah. Oh, he looked like a, a galloping, like, giraffe going down the pitch. He was, you know, as big as he is, watching him <laughs> sprint for 80 meters was was something to behold. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he had a similar similar goal last season uh, where he also sprinted the entire length of, length of the pitch. But, yeah, he's, he's, he's this massive, lanky guy, but he is so bloody quick. And, you know, he's... Uh, he he is just such a complete striker uh, at this young age, which is absolutely scary. And um, yeah, uh, he he just uh, got the par- ball past uh, Jan Sommer in the Gladbach goal, and and that was it. Um, the next guy in the in the in the Norwegian all-time goal-scoring charts in the Bundesliga is, by the way, Moa Abdelauer, uh, who is 15 goals in front of him. But um, you know, given the form Holland has been in over over the last season and uh, over the last half a season, I mean, he's only played there since since January. Um, and the form he's showing now early on, uh, I think he might very well get past him this season. I'll I'll give him to the Winterpause. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly, we we had a question about uh, you mentioned Gio Reyna. He he opened the scoring. I was really really impressed with that finish. I mean, to have the presence of mind to one time that across his body quick trigger uh on that on that first goal i was super impressed from it from a kid like that just to put that one there caught out of jan somewhere completely yeah he didn't he didn't expect that no no way we had a listener question from brooke janene in addis ababa uh, who asked the somewhat provocative question is geo already better than christian pulisic uh, i've got an answer in mind perhaps <laughs> you do as well oh uh, well 
you know what? I'm 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 going to say that both of them looked really promising at this young age, and Pulisic is still a very promising player who's now currently stuck at Chelsea. <laughs> well, well phrased. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean he's 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 a big contributor there. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> but you know, Gio Reyna. Um, I mean, Pulisic had you know he he had his down periods over 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 the time he spent in Dortmund, and you can expect those down periods from some of the younger guys. I mean. So, so I mean, the the they are they're coming they're coming in. Um, I mean, their development it sometimes stops and then it starts up again, and um, it's it's really difficult to tell what the future will will hold for Giorena. But I, I I would go as far as say he might just be he might just be slightly better than Christian Pulisic at that young an age, and and that in itself, I mean, being at at that sort of level as a as a seventeen year old is. Uh, uh it's scary it's, yeah. it's scary how good he is and uh you know you know that that he's the sort of player who um, has 16 16 17 good years ahead of himself as a player and uh i i feel uh, on a side note i feel really old talking about Gio Reyna because i remember his father claudio Reyna playing yeah. in the bundesliga for for wolfsburg yeah, yeah, and, and I agree, and, and it's interesting to see him come along showing um, sort of, in some ways, shades of, of his father. His father was not nearly as attacking or as quick a player, but he had that same calmness on the ball, which you can see in Gio. You know, just to answer the question short and sweet, uh, he's not better than Christian Pulisic yet. Um, he is better than Christian was at that age, but I think that also has something to do with the positions they play. I mean, Christian Pulisic was basically asked to be a sort of tricksy winger who who would, you know, dribble the ball with some space and, you know, try and, try and you know, link onto some balls, shot up the, 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 the sort of outside channel and then maybe cut it back. Gio is, is asked to do a lot more. He's playing centrally. He's sort of asked to orchestrate more uh, in an attack. I think Pulisic is sort of growing into a bigger role in Chelsea, but I do think that Gio is further along than Pulisic was at the time. I do think Gio is eventually going to be a better uh, a better player, but he ain't yet. But I mean, good news for the uh, U.S. men's national team. I mean, one player at Bayern, Gio at Dortmund, Pulisic at Chelsea. I mean, oh yeah, we got Leipzig, we got Juventus. Things things are looking up. Yeah, Tyler Maybe we can Tyler, qualify for the World Cup this time. Tyler Adams. I mean, he he had a good game for Leipzig against Mainz, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, totally. Let, let's talk about uh, Leipzig versus Mainz. You know, Leipzig uh, they they basically did what we expected them to do get a get a good thundering win they look like a side that's that's basically ready to, to, to continue on from where they finished the Champions League if not finished the Bundesliga last year it was a bit indifferent towards the end of the season in my view it served Mainz right to lose 3-1 I thought those those gold metallic uniforms were I mean you know, I already used a, an, an NBA GIF in my uh, Twitter post last week, so I don't want to get too NBA on you guys. But there have been many experiments with gold uniforms. Uh, both the Sacramento Kings and the uh, Washington Wizards have experimented with them as, as alternate uniforms in the past. They always look like crap. They look terrible. Mites were dressed in gold in this game, and they were not playing at a gold standard. Um <laughs> 
Anyway, um, Nick, so the, the, you mentioned Tyler Adams had a nice game in this one, but the, the guy who really comes to mind most is somebody who is kind of a, like, maybe three years ago flashback who, who, who really was sort of pulling the strings, right? Yeah, but, but you know, as, as we are talking about kits and, and, and stuff like that, I, I have to say what, what really disturbed me the most are, are those socks by the Leipzig player. That, that yellow on top of the red. Come on, Leipzig. Come on. I mean, really, that is just, no, no, it's no. But yeah, I mean, the player we're talking about is, of course, uh, the Swedes, uh, Emil, Emil Forsberg. Uh, he was he was completely on fire. He was really the, the most inter- integral part of, of uh, my, uh, Leipzig's attack during the first 45 minutes. Slotted home the the penalty that gave uh, Leipzig the lead uh, and was instrumental in everything they did up to, uh, up front uh, until the halftime break. And you know he even even hit the post with a with a shot uh, uh, that finished off a really great free flowing attacking move. So so Leipzig were really unlucky in a sense not to be up by more than two goals. Um, and you know when when that f- second half started and Mateta got one back for for Mainz, you thought oh game on, but. Um, no, Leipzig, uh, you know, they weren't faced by that at all. And they reestablished that two-goal lead, uh, three-goal by their uh, player from Mali. Uh, what's his name? Hadera. And, you know, after that, they never looked like losing. And, uh, you know, they, they created a few more good chances, could have scored on a couple of them. So um, 3-1, it, uh, it's actually a flattering result for Mainz in the end. And, uh, I mean, there, there are still some questions in terms of how well Leipzig are going to fare against some of the bigger boys in the league because obviously they've lost a lot of firepower in attack because simply because Patrick Schick, he's now a Leverkusen player, Timo Werner and his extreme pace up front is going to be big miss. I mean, uh, Dennis Eitekin, uh, the referee, spoke in a German documentary about refereeing that the, the, you know the, one of the biggest challenges he could face was in a quick quick break with uh, Timo Werner up front because you know following that as a referee as uh, simply a nightmare uh, as Werner is so damn quick and uh, it, it's not easy to replace that sort of um, same qualities and you know um, Leipzig are now looking set to sign a. You know the yeah. Nor- I want to get your your Norwegian insider knowledge here. <laughs> Alexander Zolot, um, son of Göran Zolot, who was a legend over there at Rosenberg here in Norway. Um, um, you know Alexander Zolot, he was really stuck on, on the bench over there at Crystal Palace. Uh, went to Trabzonspor in Turkey. had a had a great campaign for them. Um, yeah, didn't didn't they almost win the league this past year? Yeah, I think so. Um, so he's he's not as quick as Werner, but you know he he brings uh, he brings a little bit more physicality and he, he has a good nose for goal. And um, for us in Norway, it's actually quite surprising to have two such strikers of 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 the quality of uh, Holland and Solot at the same time. I think I mean that that hasn't happened since you know Solskjaer and uh, Karif in in the 90s and early 2000s. So, um, yeah, Alexander Zerlot, definitely um, not a one-on-one replacement for Werner, but uh, certainly a guy who knows where the goal is. All right, let's uh, let's quickly talk about what probably was, um, you know, the most sort of, I don't know, 
action-packed back-and-forth game of of the match day. You know, we were talking about uh, the the mismatch problem that you had on, on opening night. This was not a mismatch. It was really a nice sort of uh, back-and-forth situation. I mean, Hoffenheim really had their foot on the gas uh, the whole way through. They ended up getting a 3-2 win in Cologne. But, you know, it, it was a game that gave us a chance to see what they're made of. Uh, they have a new coach, of course, in Sebastian Hernes. Everybody kind of views them as a wild card for that reason because they had such an up-and-down season but ended up getting themselves in the Europa League. I mean, Abel and I kind of decided last week that a pretty simple way to view how things are going to go for them is they're going to go as far as as Andre Kramaric will take them. And, you know, after this week, that may be, may be pretty far, right? <laughs> well, seven goals in the last uh, two match days uh, for Kramaric, for which... Uh, you know, only, I, I think it's been equaled by by a few players, among them Robert Lewandowski and Manfred Birksmuller, but I don't think that anybody has ever done eight in two matches on the on the trot. Yeah, Kramaric uh, is a pretty... I mean, he's a complete striker. Uh, slots, slots home a penalty, uh, heads the ball well, has a good shot on himself. I mean, that, that uh, deciding goal. Uh, I mean, this was a quite topsy-turvy match because Hoffenheim actually got off to a much better start than than. Cologne got got gifted a penalty. Cologne equalized. Then they got another gift from the Cologne defense. Kramer uh, took advantage uh, 2-1 at, at the halftime break. In the second half, Cologne really had a little bit of a little bit a uh, little bit more of the action, and they rewarded themselves through a late goal by uh, Draxler in the 86th minute. And at that point, you thought, okay, yeah, this this match is going to end 2-2. But you know, there was there was another twist there because Kramerjes was pr- pretty much, as I as I mentioned earlier, given given the ball 15 yards in front of goal, and he just slotted it home with the sweetest of chances. Uh, Timo Horn just got a touch to it, but you know, couldn't keep it out. Uh, and um, you know, if he if he wasn't twenty twenty nine but twenty two, I I think it'd be fair to say that uh, teams like Real Madrid or Barcelona would probably take a closer look at him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's had such a strange strange career in terms of having a lot of expectations put on him. Got a got that move to the Premier League at the point at which he thought maybe he was going to sort of you know be springboarding into something much bigger. And and Hoffenheim has turned out to be not just this you know place where he could take a, a, a step back to step forward, but you know as far as it looks to me, unless something radically changes, he's probably going to be sticking around at Hoffenheim for some time to come. He's an extremely beloved player there. I mean, we we had a listener question actually from Hoffenheim fan club UK. Um, Maybe a slightly partisan uh, question. Is Kramaric one of the most overlooked strikers in the league? Um, And, you know, I guess short and sweet, yeah, in that everybody not named Lewandowski or Holland is overlooked in this league. But I think most people who, who have seen him at his best know that he is capable of a whole lot and he's not far off um, the, the level of some of those guys. It's just that between injuries, which have been pretty ill-timed, and also form issues. I mean, remember last year when, when Hoffenheim was sort of trying to find themselves, he just kind of played his way out of the side for a while and, and didn't have much of a part to play. But when he is at his best, man, he is he's really, really hard to, to, to control. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, at his best, definitely uh, top five, maybe even top three 
striker in the Bundesliga. Sure, sure. Especially now that that uh, Timo Werner has has left the league. Mm, indeed, he's uh, he's he's not far off the top. All right, let's mop things up with uh, you know what we call maybe the rest of uh, match day one. We've got uh, what four more games to to you know just quickly chew over. We've probably gone uh, fairly long as it is, but I think that these these games do, do deserve a, a little bit of a look in. A lot of them were you know on the sort of I don't know cagier side of things. I mean Eintracht versus Bielefeld. This is a one one result in the end. Certainly, Eintracht would have gone into this game expecting more, being at home against a newly promoted team and, and played like it. But it just didn't quite work out for him, did it? No, um, Eintracht was the better team in the first half. I mean, they had eight corner kicks, but they didn't create anything from them. Um, so, I mean, what really let them down was uh, the passing and uh, the way they moved the ball in in, in, the, in the last third Um they didn't do. They didn't put all those corner kicks and uh, possession to good use. Uh, Bielefeld, on the other hand side, when they got the t- chance through Zabia Zaku, uh, they got their first Bundesliga goal in ages uh, in the fifty-first minute. I think that was eleventh uh, minutes later on. Uh, Silva equalized after Bas Dost had uh, headed the ball towards him. But uh, you know, despite that. Uh, Eintracht didn't create enough danger to get that second goal that would have won them the, goal, the that match. And uh, uh, I mean, for the two sides, it's it's a bit of a different story for the two of them. A disappointing start for Eintracht and uh, for Bielefeld, it's actually quite a decent start. One point on the road is uh, one point towards you know staying in the league. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, you know, as you said, this was definitely not a game in which um, um, Bielefeld were, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Pressing played off the park. Yeah, they were not played off the park. They were not. They were not exactly uh, uh, going toe to toe with with Eintracht. But the fact that they were able to get uh, a point away from home is a great way to start the season. I guess that we can quickly talk over the other draw from the weekend: Wolfsburg and Leverkusen. This was a less eventful draw. Uh, it was actually a draw where, where the two teams kind of just countered each other out of the game uh, tactically. This is a nil nil draw. You reckon the the Wolfsburg were sort of yeah. closer to actually... Yeah, I mean, they, they had that one great chance for, uh, at the end of the first half through John Anthony Brooks, another great American player. Great American player. A lot of Americans on the podcast today. Um, so yeah, he, he had that header from seven or eight yards out and uh, that went slightly over the bar. He should have done better with that. Um but yeah, other than that, Wolfsburg had a few good. I mean, Maxi Arnold even put a corner kick onto the post. Come to think of it, that was in the first half too. But um, you know, Wolfsburg were closer. But uh, besides those two chances I just mentioned, they they went, didn't go nowhere near close enough to go on too many occasions to say that uh, this should have warranted a, a Wolfsburg win. But um, as it turns out. Uh, Peter Bosch has a lot to sort out before for that meeting against RB Leipzig next weekend. Yeah, let's let's quickly uh, take a listener question from Daniel McDermott. He's uh, and he wrote to us from upstate New York, uh, just asking what we made of Leverkusen, and I think most specifically that things they need to sort out the sort of somewhat uh, sputtering offense. Do they just need more time to figure out how they're going to compensate for for Kai Havertz's absence? Is that is that more or less what's going on there? Uh, yeah I mean sure I mean how are you going to stuff uh, Kai Harvard's shaped hole 
uh, I mean, that guy is, he was such a complete player for them. Um, uh, got really scary towards the end of the season when he even started scoring from headers, which hadn't really been a specialty of him uh, at all. I mean, listen, uh, finding the sort of player who has that same great movement, has the same passing skill, has the same nose for goal is going to be impossible. So it has to be a team job. And how they're going to do that as a team is going to take some time to figure out for sure. Finally, we have two games which featured wins by uh, you know teams teams who who you know now find themselves uh, you know in the upper reach of the table who maybe not everyone expected to be there teams who didn't make Europe last year but you know have gotten off, off to a really nice start. That would be uh, Augsburg who picked up a three one win in Berlin and uh, Freiburg who who beat their you know intra state rivals uh, Final Fantasy Stuttgart in Stuttgart three uh, two. Any any big uh, takeaways from those two games? I mean, Union and Augsburg. I um, I really have them. I really picked them as two of the candidates for relegation at the at the start of the season. And um, yeah, uh, important win for for Augsburg. Augsburg was uh, really um, the more effective side in what was a really poor game. Kicker had the uh, somewhat apt headline, uh, almost 100% of the chances converted, Augsburg get a 3-1 win. So um, as as such, uh, the match wasn't really uh, an awful lot to talk about, as uh, it was really poor at times. Freiburg, on the other hand side, they actually ran away with the 3-0 lead, and they almost gave that up. Stuttgart even had a penalty call towards the end of that match, uh, which wasn't given. Uh, but yeah, uh, Freiburg, uh, they are just being concerned about sticking around for another season and, and should go on and establish themselves in the Bundesliga. Um, obviously, good start for, for Freiburg then, and maybe not the sort of start that Stuttgart go would have hoped for, but um, both, both sides have uh, a lot of promising stuff to build upon towards the following weeks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Stuttgart in particular uh, can, can, can look with some positivity here, having gotten themselves out of a deep hole in this game to at least getting to within touching distance of, of their visitors. Quickly, of the teams, uh, which is to say Augsburg, Freiburg, and Hertha, uh, who are, you know, got off the mark with wins, who are not particularly uh, highly regarded teams, at least at least not at the moment. Since I mentioned the, the surprise package idea at the beginning of the podcast, is there um, one of those, those three that you... Are, are looking with a little bit more confidence at uh, now now going forward? Yeah, it would definitely be Herter. I mean, it's maybe not a surprise package given the fact that they do have a big money man who has spit in a lot of money in the team over, over the last year or so. But um, yeah, I think uh, Herter has definitely got the ingredients for, um, you know, chasing a European finish. As for Augsburg, I do think they're going to be found out by bigger and better opponents than Union Berlin and as for Freiburg um, too early to tell really I mean they're, they're a bit of a <laughs> one season they are competing for Europe the next season they're going down so um, you never quite know where you've got them and uh, given that they've lost players like Waldschmidt over the summer it's going to be interesting to see where they're at this season. One last thing one last listener question is from John in Chicago who's your biggest disappointment of, of week one? Uh, for players, definitely Yuya Ozako really looked off the pace. Uh, dreadful performance in the first half. As for the teams, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find bigger disappointments than Bremen and Schalke. And Schalke maybe being the slightly bigger disappointment there. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, Schalke were expected to lose, but they not <laughs> weren't expected to lose like that. Not 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 by eight goals, no. Yeah, there were there were uh, quite a few disappointments uh, in week one. I, I think Union were also among among the big disappointments. That this was a home match against a very beatable team, and and to lose it really not looking all that great, um, especially especially after uh, goal impact. I guess this is my one mention of this because I thought it was so daft. I mean, you know, last year goal impact put out their predictions for the season about, um, you know, who was going to finish up high. And, and their their big uh, prediction was to, to, to put Wolfsburg um, up in the very upper reach of the table, which ended up not being such a daft um, prediction. But this year's uh, outlier, I think, was... Uh, Picking Union Berlin uh, to finish ninth uh, and, and Schalke tenth, um, you know, this is just going to be our opportunity to plant that flag so that we can drag them uh, later on in the season when those two teams are uh, deep in a relegation fight. <laughs> All right, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball. It was produced as it always is by Aiden Rantoul. Nick, spectacular to uh, you know have you in the co-pilot seat again. It was fun to be back, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, next time I'm back, I, I can talk a little bit more about uh, a big Verde win, preferably about Chalco or something. Hey, you know, that, that's that's who they got to beat next week. Uh, so, so you know, maybe you'll have something to say about that. Uh, if you want to follow Nick on Twitter, of course, you can find him at, at @normusings. You can listen to his you know latest Meisterwerk, which is to say, uh, Talking Foosball's historic Match Day Moments series, uh, which is on our Patreon page. It's going to be coming up all season long. We hope you'll consider supporting us over there with a little bit of your of your money. Uh, if you want to contact us, do hit us up at Talking Foosball on Twitter. Please do you know subscribe to the pod, rate us positively, please, and uh, you know tell your friends about us if they like German football and maybe even if they don't. This is what makes them all y'all.